Hello, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. You're listening to the Mission Control Podcast. Uh, just another reminder that you can download and preview all of our podcasts from our new website, which is missionctrl.com.au. So on today's podcast is the Voltaire Twins. Now, Tegan from the Voltaire Twins has been on before, but at the time, I think James couldn't make it. So I promised myself to get um, both of them on. Um, and a year later, here we are. Um, now, they are just about to head to Melbourne to record their full-length album, um, and they are playing their final farewell show on the 24th of August at Mojo's with a whole pile of awesome supports. And here they are. to Mission Control. Hello, hello. Uh, please welcome James and Tegan. Hey, yeah. Uh, hello. How are you guys? Yeah, good. Pretty good. Good? Not yeah. tired? Not... I'm fucking tired. Really? Yeah. It's been, <laughs> I had to I had to do... Um, uh, I, I had a club that I DJ at. I had to do like the 2.30 to 5am shift on um, Friday. 5am? Yeah, which really, really sucks. I had way too many beverages. And then... <laughs> I had to DJ ten, no, twelve to two thirty last night as well. Usually, you don't do two. I wouldn't do two nights in a row like that. Yeah, what can I tell you? I what, what venue was it? That was a Connections on Connections. the rooftop. Oh wow! So that that opens till five a.m. Yeah, that is crazy. I don't know who would be up at five a.m. Was it packed or? Yeah, it gets really really busy because a lot of other clubs close at like two. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the few places where once like the other clubs empty out, a lot of people go there. Oh, cool. Tegan, what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, last night I fell asleep uh, face down in front of the heater. Brilliant. Yeah. That sounds And awesome. woke up with my tootsies burning. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys, um, are you all packed for the move? When, when, when is the actual official date of the move? Three weeks today. September the 8th. Yep. September the 8th. Are you going to ship some stuff over, like your music stuff or... A little Just bit. hand carry it, or mm, probably uh, take it all on the plane with us. Yeah, we're going to take as much. We're going to take the entire live rig on the plane. Wow. Um, but we've got a lot of other like keyboards and guitars and things that we're not going to need for gigs straight away. So yeah, um, I guess we'll have to ship them. Yeah. Have you actually started writing the new album, or is it kind of something you're going to think about when you're actually yeah, over there? We started yeah. it. We're yeah. a few songs in. Can you sing a bit now? No. <laughs> <laughs> we've um, written like I don't know. I don't want to say how much. Yeah, sure. Some. Some of it. Cool. And and has it changed at all, your sound? Or is it kind of... Yeah, a lot. A lot? Yeah, I'd say... Uh, I'd, I'd say, like, everything is... It's all very, like, recognisably Voltaire Twins. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot... Uh, James, is playing, James is playing guitar, which we haven't put in a recording for a long time. And true. James is playing bass as well. Right. So I guess there's probably parts where in the past we might have had a synth playing bass a synth playing a couple of leads that's filled in with guitar and bass now yeah mm. there's been a lot less reliance on synths i think is a okay cool but that said I, I kind of feel like the synths we are using are kind of more synthy yeah do you know what i mean like they're better they are better <laughs> <laughs> so they, they're quite obviously synth parts yeah like yeah. If the last like the last two eps we used a lot of kind of effects and very kind of organic sounding synth sounds but now that we're using actual like guitars and drums and things t- to build everything around we're um the synths are just balls out yeah 80s synths mm. yes. so how, how do you feel live are you up to the multitasking and is it kind of tricky or getting there we've only tried it once mm. um it went really well i didn't notice anything different really other than the fact that you were playing guitar and bass but okay how yeah. did they sound um, what, the actual guitar and bass? Yeah. It sounded fine. Does it sound okay? Yeah. You don't have to... <laughs> well, amps, stuff at amps just sounds pretty good. I think um, the sound guy there is, is really cool. So, yeah. um, no, I didn't notice... It took me like 10 minutes to realise that, that Jack wasn't even there. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I was I was quite drunk, but yeah. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> but, um, no, nothing noticeably different about it. It, it was all pretty tight. There's um, a lot that I got. I have to like between every song now. I need to like control like the sampler, a keyboard. There's like a bass synth, and a um, and in some songs I'm playing guitar at the same time. 
the new setup is pretty much like James and he's Oz behind a curtain controlling a bazillion things and yeah. that's just firing off all of this other stuff and then my job now a few like bits and pieces have been stripped back and James is playing those and now my job is just to dance around him and be an idiot yeah James is yeah very much in the control seat of the whole operation which is good because I don't know what to do well I don't know it's good and it's not good I mean it's good in that well it's good in that it's not me well it's good in that it sounds good yeah but it (laughs) might not be so fun for you (laughs) yeah I don't know it's fun I don't I don't have quite this I I would say my chops maybe aren't quite there yet right it's going to take a bit more practice for my like Mm. for my guitar and bass chops to be quite as um tight with right. the drums and, and to sing as well while playing like i play the drums yeah. but I, I can't for the life of me play a riff and sing at the same time for some reason mm. yeah i just find it extra hard when yeah. i was younger i used to play in punk bands and or more like pop punk bands because it's right. the mid 2000s and i used to sing and play guitar and, I, and um now that i'm doing it again it seems much much harder maybe because like instead of playing like straight bar chords i'm playing funk riffs but Right, with a, a lot of upstroke and... Yeah, you know, a lot yeah. of upstroke now. Yeah. I think that with singing and playing, anything that you do that's new, if it's not pretty much everything falling on the same beat, your brain freaks out about it and you mm. have to do it a million times and then mm. one day it just lands in your lap and you can do it with your eyes closed and without thinking about it. Mm. It's just yeah. one of those things that you have to practice until you get it and then you got it for life. I've definitely got a w- lot more of the kind of... Um, like vocal vocal and and like music like instrumental bits being on different beats and stuff yeah that's hard like the the syncopated synth in jump cuts yeah it's really hard to sing along to in the chorus yeah and not like land it on the ones Mm. because there's a lot of triplet drumming and stuff yeah yeah we use triplets yeah there's a lot of triplet bass lines as well very latin kind of beats as well yeah Yeah, i didn't think about it that way well they are yeah a lot triplet stuff is basically you know latin Mm. fusion stuff yeah um, that must be a nightmare to sing and play that at the same time. Yeah, it is. Well, I, I'm like, at the moment, I, I had, like, when we played at Amplify the other day, I didn't sing except in the chorus of Solaris. Because mm-hmm. in the bass, in the in the verses, it's all triplet bass notes. Right. And I, I couldn't. And the and the, the actual vocals are quite, uh, like, on the beat. Yeah. I, got, I don't get the skills. <laughs> Not yet. They're coming. So do, do you feel like you've grown from, obviously you have from, from the, past releases i mean um how do you think you've come how far do you think you've come to to this point i think we are a lot more relaxed Mm -hmm. i'd say like we're not trying to do something and in the past we were always trying to do something even if it was something good uh and i think that we're like our production skills our our production chops are getting really good for demoing and stuff in terms of like structure writing and, and hooks and stuff like that or the actual sound both production? yeah both we're definitely getting better at recording sounds and the way we're planning out our like little home studio for demoing the album is very much centered around using only a few instruments but using them in interesting ways we definitely right. downsized the number of parts we put in things mm. like when you listen to the when i was editing the samples for the new live rig and i was listening to like the older stuff they're so big and dense and fat. And then when I was listening to like the new stuff, it was like really, really basic and kind of stripped back and mm. minimalist, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Now the the actual move to Melbourne was there a specific reason? Did you want to change the scenery? Is it the market scope, or was it just something you felt like you wanted to try out? Pretty much everything that you yeah. just said. Yeah. I mean, we both lived here in Perth our whole lives and we love the place, but at some point it's nice just to have that challenge of living somewhere else, you know, making new friends and being thrown into situations that you haven't been in before. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities over there. Once you kind of played around town for a little while over here, there's not like, there's not that sort of initial excitement when you get to a gig of like, oh, I wonder if the sound is going to be okay or I wonder what's going to happen here or are people going to come or are they not you kind of you can predict a lot of that here and that it it doesn't leave a lot to um, excitement you know Um, so I think that that's another reason and yeah I think just to be in a in a city that with a a bigger a bigger scene and that kind of thing it just seems like a natural progression and um, you know a a different base of um, inspiration while we're writing as well you know Mm. and the whole like you know leaving 
where you've lived your whole life and leaving a lot of family and friends and relationships and stuff like that can kind of also give you something to write about as well yeah definitely yeah um i know exactly what you mean there there is what my sisters call the um the perth vortex where you do slip into a comfort zone and things just get really kind of like you said predictable yeah like with the venues you you know what every venue is going to be like you know who's the sound guy yeah so it's like there's no real you know threat of anything yeah going bad or you know yeah so kind of it saps the the excitement out of it and you can get into a routine of just doing that perth lap of the venues and nothing really comes out of it that's substantial you know yeah yeah it's hard to make something really special that way i'm not saying you can't do special things in perth Mm. and perth is i mean there's there's a lot of things we really really love about perth but it's we've had a very very easy ride in perth Mm. like we've had a lot of really great opportunities and everything but i just like even when we're playing our own kind of headline gig they just don't really feel that special anymore because like you said we know we know what the sound's going to be like Mm. we know exactly we can plan everything about them Mm. and we can pretty much tell you know which venues we can sell out which venues we can you know you know not quite sell out we know we know our place in perth so Mm. so well Mm. And it's kind of like what what could we do with like from there if we we're going to stay here like right um, especially when we've been on bigger tours where we don't have any of that kind of certainty when we were in the US last year like we had a lot of venues where things were really 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 different in some cases you get to a venue and you kind of realize like there is not a good sound engineer here or this room sounds like puke or they don't have you know enough inputs to take all of your instruments so you're gonna have to play the set differently like when we came back from that trip we were so good like yeah and like by the end of that trip we were playing we went from the start of it like really like really being worried but by the end of it like we were playing the best gigs of our life we were so sharp and so like we were nailing it so hard by the end of that because we'd had we were getting so used to walking into like completely new rooms and knowing that chances are it's not going to be ideal something mm. is going to go wrong like i think also when we were over there everyone except me got really sick i got sick when i got back anyway but um because of that everyone was just like the brief was no longer play the best show you can the brief was get through the show without puking or like yeah. sweating yourself to death kind of thing and that kind of thing um when you're a bit little bit sort of stressed out and you, and you just know that you've got to get through it and give it your all they seem to be the gigs when everyone just got like does amazing because you, you don't have that sort of level of self-consciousness anymore about like how do i look and sound it's like i just know i'm at least making us sound mm-hmm. and for that reason it takes that level of nervousness away and it puts a bit of, a bit more urgency into the performance and that i felt as well was what made us you know so tight by the end of it was because we knew we could pull through like being insanely sick like the sickest that some of us have been in our yeah. lives and yeah. you know get through not knowing like who yeah who was going to do sound and all those other things that James just listed. But I think the other thing with um, with moving over is just like a decision that we've made about when we get there is that there'll be an even higher level of commitment because we've both been um, working the whole time we've been over here as well and we've kind of just committed to being as poor as possible when we get to Melbourne and really enjoying living and doing music rather than working as much. And I think that that is sort of, it's hard to do that in Perth because if you have a routine or, you know, anywhere that you've lived for a while, if you have a routine, it's really hard to live where you live and have your lifestyle and then go back from that. But if you're moving and you go, okay, when I get there, I'm going to be dirt poor and I'll probably just eat megarang and drink goon <laughs> if you know that before you go into it then you go yeah okay cool this is life but you mm. you miss it if it's part of a routine so i think we can probably go over there with a higher level of commitment than we've ever had before not to say that we're, we're not committed but it's just another level of you know of making that choice I, I, like i kind of have felt um like we've always been very committed but we've always been kind of half committed because We've worked full-time jobs and then, you know, at the end of the day, we'll meet at, like, the studio or at one of our houses and we'll write or we'll rehearse. And sometimes we'll do that for, like, five days a week. And it's kind of like having two full-time jobs, except one of them you're prioritizing because you're going to in the morning when you're fresh and you're working hard on. And then the other one you're going to in the afternoon and you're tired and you're a bit shat off and, you know, you 
you, you, you were a bit brain dead and you're kind of, you're making a decision. Everyone who's in a band makes a decision as to where that band's going to fall within their life. And bands who um, have it falling after any other job are, like, this is a broad thing to say, but they're not the bands that do anything. Mm-hmm. They're not the bands. No, I agree. I fully agree with that. They yeah. achieve what, they, what they're dreaming of because, mm. you know, you have to pay for what you achieve with, you know... A lot of hard work, and when you're doing something creative, you just can't do. You don't just don't do good stuff at night if you're working all day. Unless you sleep all day. Unless you sleep all day, but then you <laughs> yeah, know, then it's the same as anything yeah, it's else. the same yeah. But like when we get to like we've quit our jobs, and when we go to Melbourne, the band is we're going to be working full time as a band, mm-hmm. and the jobs that we get are going to have to just fit around that. And if the jobs don't, you know, don't fit, then those aren't the jobs we're going to have. Like mm. we're you know just going to have to like we're going to have to find fulfillment and all of the things people get from a job in the work we put into that band and I think that's going to get that's going to yield well I think that, like it's the only way to find out yeah if we don't do it, we, it it's a great experiment yeah. Mm. yeah if anything I think yeah just forcing yourself out of that comfort zone the stress does amazing things for your creativity and mm. um, I think uh, exactly what you were saying when you are comfortable when the band becomes you know, a rehearsal becomes a way to end the day mm. rather than start it. It becomes an afterthought, like the band's just kind of what you do. Exactly. And you kind of forget the whole magic of it all when mm. you're kind of in that scenario. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, moving, you know, you, you're all on the same page, you're all kind of in it together. Yep. And there's no real way to, to make it an afterthought when you're kind of over there. Yeah, yeah. I think I think as well, um, when we when we get there we will have time to do the other kind of things that we've dabbled in before which has been writing for um other artists or you know writing for producers and stuff like that and we can really figure out our our place in like the the wider music community as working songwriters or you know singers or whatever because we can actually keep doing what we've just started doing but it's always that thing of that we've never had enough time for because we've been working rehearsing you know everything and then Mm. it's just that's just an after afterthought that we haven't had time for but Mm. it's been so enjoyable when we have done it so it's sort of about like you know i guess expanding ourselves as artists and Mm. making some money from music outside of this project as well yeah and the great thing is i don't see any way that you could fail at doing this because if anything you'll take away a lot of experience definitely and you you know what it's like to kind of live for the music yeah and um if anything you'll you'll learn a lot from it so yeah at the very least i think it'll make us technically better yeah uh, as like songwriters because regardless of the band what we want to be as songwriters mm-hmm. and like it's silly for us it would be silly for us not to do it given that every single time in the past we have done it like had like three week stretches say only only like three or four weeks of writing every day like a nine to five or ten to six kind of schedule like we just have done such better work like by the end of it we're writing faster much more interesting stuff you know we're we're you know we our chops when it comes to like you know make recording good sounds arranging things in an interesting way all of the technical aspects of it are just it's the same as like like what I was saying about touring when you're playing every day and you're being really really challenged your chops get up that's how you get your chops up mm. and that's it's, exactly it's the stress, what it is. that that stress of not yeah. knowing mm. what's coming like just putting and just putting the time in as well like being a working day to day like you know musician like. It's you need to you really do it's like it's like being in shape like as an athlete. Yeah. You lose yeah. your fitness mm. really, really quickly. Mm. And as an artist as well, if you are only doing it a couple of nights a week, you'll lose your fitness. Right. Whereas yeah. if you're doing it every day, that's when you get your fitness up mm. and you're you able to do you know. Yeah, definitely. I, I felt myself at the end of the tour is when I'm actually ready to play a show. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Start the yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um just even the sleep deprivation and the travelling um, you know, you're all kind of committed to that one show or however many shows, and that puts your mind in that kind of zen headspace where it's nothing, there's no distractions or anything except playing the shows. Yeah. And um, I think that's, yeah, that's super valuable. So have you thought about how you're going to release the album, or is that kind of really far down the track? It, uh, it's we, ha- we have had some discussions, and I think it's too far down the track. Yeah, really. too far. I mean, yeah. I don't know, like... The, we're kind of planning at the moment with the assumption that once it's written and it's recorded 
that nobody's going to want to sign us or anything like that. And so we're kind of like putting a plan into place as to how we can get the most out of an album as possible. Mm. But obviously we're going to try really hard to... Uh, Yeah, it's so hard when it's half written as well to... We sort of... In my mind, I try to make plans for it, but it's just we don't really know what it is. It's sort of like naming a baby that you don't know if it's a boy or a girl or a monkey or like... (laughs) I don't know, a toaster, you know, like who knows? Yeah, sure. You you don't know how it's going to... Yeah, how it's going to manifest. So, Like, we could write a hit tomorrow. I mean, I've got no evidence to say that we could do that, but <laughs> if we if we wrote, like, a hit tomorrow, like a big, big song, that would take care of all of the decision-making for it because, you know, that's the kind of thing that influences what happens to an album. But if we then tomorrow wrote a song that, you know, defined the direction of the album and it was really experimental and weird and niche, mm. then... um. I think we could say pretty safely what's going to happen to it. Mm. Mm. Are you worried about trends in music at all? Are you phased by no. what's current or... I don't know what's current. Mm. I, I could not pay less attention to what's current. Like, I don't I don't have a radio or because I don't have a car. Right. Um, and I don't have a television and I don't listen to new stuff. I, there's a few producers that I listen to, I guess, like... On blogs and stuff, or that right. I follow on SoundCloud, but that's mm-hmm. pretty—they're pretty niche as it is. I, like, I kind of feel like a few years ago, when we first started, we a lot of things happened to us very, very quickly because um, music was synthesizers and it was very, very cool. Mm. It was very, very fashionable, and regardless of whether people liked our songs or not, they booked us because we were seen as being part of that. Right. And then when that sort of went into decline, we we felt like we had to separate ourselves from it regardless of whether we chose to be part of it in the first place. Right. Because a lot of people were like, well, well, are you still relevant now that, uh, you know, now that mm. it, you know, people are playing guitars again? Yeah. E- every year there's like a handful of bands that are still playing that kind of music that like do amazing things because they write amazing songs. Just like when synth music became really big, there was heaps of, like, old-school rock and roll bands that were still, like, smashing it every year just because they wrote good songs. Like, to me, like, a trend carries the least exciting members of a genre with it. You know, a trend will sweep up the best and a lot of the not-so-good as well. Yeah. And um, and when the trend ends, it's the ones that don't write the good songs and that aren't... They're filtered out. they're, They're filtered out. Yeah. So, like, I think that when we were first scooped up in a trend... We were not that good. Like, I, mm. I don't think we should have done some of the things we did early on. Mm. I thought we should. I think we should have stayed at a lower level and not been playing such big shows because we, our songs weren't there yet. Mm. Mm. You know, now that it's not so much about a trend or anything like that, I think so long as the songs are good, no one's really going to care. Yeah. Is that still in the back of your mind at all about where you kind of fit, or um, uh, j- just the fact that a lot of people's first impressions of your band are of a certain way? Do you find that it, it... Do you kind of just not pay attention or do you think longevity and, and just keeping on going is what's going to save you? I, I, th- I think the, the last thing that you can do is control what people think about you. Yeah. And that's something that we've struggled with a little bit when we first started off because, yeah, you know, we started the band and we didn't have... We didn't know what genre we wanted to be. We just had the instruments that we had and we wrote what we wrote. And everyone called us a electro band for ages. Mm-hmm. And then... We kind of didn't really care about that because we were pretty fresh. But then at a point we thought, well, that's not really how we identify and that's getting kind of annoying. Mm. And then we tried to, for a little while, like really say like, this is what we are. We're not electro, we're this and this and this. And we really tried to project that and it never, it didn't work. You know, people just have their mind made up from the start. But, you know, because that's how they, that's how they know you. It's like changing your name, like, you know, and like if you said, okay, my name's not Daryl anymore. Now it's Cindy. Your mom would probably really struggle with calling you Cindy or (laughs) like, you know, whatever, or James or, you know, it's people just have it stuck in their heads. So I think it's not really worth trying to control the Mm. way people see you and it hasn't worked for us in the past i think you've just got to know what you like and be comfortable with what you're doing and you know especially when you go do go into a new um market of you know people that are liking your music they'll make up their own minds without any predispositions and then you know maybe five years down the track when they're like you know oh yeah that, that's that band that's you know guitar whatever and they're mm. kind of indie pop or whatever which is you know m- maybe what some people would say now 
then maybe we'd be, oh, no, now we're something totally different. But you can't control it, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think longevity is a big thing. Yeah. Bands that simply just are consistent and don't give a fuck about trends and just keep going and don't break up. Those are yeah. the ones that kind of stand the test of time. I agree. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that the way I see it is that if everything went really, really well for this band, mm-hmm. 99.999% of our potential audience the people who are going to be actually going to the shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right now, they've never heard of us. Like, sure. I, I'd say yeah. we've got... Mm. I'd say that based on, I guess, Facebook and stuff like that, there's probably... I'd say it's a good guess to say there's 10,000 people out of 6 billion who've heard of us. Mm-hmm. Who've even heard of us, let alone would know what our songs are. Sure, yeah. And, like, best case scenario, if you get to... A band gets to be as big as, like, San Francisco or Tame Impala... You, there's probably a few million people in the world have heard of them. Mm-hmm. Like, in case of someone like Tame Impala, many millions have yeah. heard of them, rather, rather, regardless of whether they know the music or not. Worrying about what anybody thinks about us at this stage mm. kind of is, is so fruitless because if we yeah. achieved what we wanted to, which would be to have, you know, to be able to be a really big band who can do it for a living, all those people, you know, they just like, they don't even exist yet, you know? Yeah, that's right. You're. you're yeah, there's a lot of people in the world and your market's probably completely untapped still. Um, so, you know, to, to say that um, how you are now, you know, how, how you are perceived now will be retained in the years to come is kind of silly. Mm. Because, mm. you know, the market's always changing and you haven't really reached your full potential yet. So There's yeah. some things that will never change and that is like family members or, you know, people that kind of know you from afar, like... Mm who don't know anything about music and going, oh, this isn't so bad for techno. Yeah. And that will never change. That will just, you know, <laughs> someone, if, like anything that like has a one sound in it. And if you don't know about music, you can just yeah. pigeonhole something pretty, pretty quickly. So, yeah, Thank it's you. been pretty funny uh, for me to hear that. But, yeah, the, the average person is who, who you want to be appealing to, right? That, that's where your market is. I, I don't know. I don't even think about it as being any specific kind of person. I actually think that... The, yeah, I just, I just feel like there's, there's a lot of... What Perth bands kind of get caught up in is, is really appealing to critics. And yeah. people, like, that's, they want a room full of critics that approve of what they do. Especially and I think Perth, that's... Like, yeah. Name me a fucking good critic in Perth. Yeah. Like, there's enough of them. When you're some, in somewhere like Perth, Worrying about what people write about you or what people think about you is so stupid because it's just it's just it's, a, it's just a little town and like one or two people who've got their names into, and, as bylines. I say this as someone who's worked as a critic as well. Yeah. Nobody people pay so much attention to the opinions of people who are in no way qualified to hold their opinions up as higher than anyone else's. Yeah. And the idea that you know you would be trying to please a critic over somebody. Who like there's a few people who come to like almost all of our shows, mm-hmm. and who obviously like just really enjoy it. That's their idea of a good night out. Is you know, is like coming to one of our shows, or or even people who go to gigs like every week and really support music and just love to see bands. The idea that it's, you would re- like appeal to somebody sitting in their bedroom, you know, in front of their laptop, like criticizing you over those people mm. who you know come out to see you and who yeah. actually care about it. It's crazy. Mm. I mean. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I meant by the average person. I think I phrased it pretty shitty, but um, so many bands get disillusioned simply from a review in the magazine. Mate, if we did, and we'd be fucking. <laughs> it, it's it's so easy to it's so it's like junk food. It's so it's so easy to get caught in that and then get mm. disillusioned and have your heart broken, and then you try and kind of. Um, I guess compromise the sound of your band to start to appeal to the people that do write, you know, these blogs or articles, mm. and it's, yeah. it, they're not really the the market. They the people are the market. You know, it's not totally. it's not the people you know writing things. I Working. think. Sorry, you go. Oh, I was going to say you can you can kind of create something as well, and then go, okay, what have we got here? Where does it fit in? And I think that that's the better way to do it because the you know maybe it's a small group of people that will like it, or maybe it's a big one, but. You just got to do what you want to do from the very start because if you hate it, you don't want to be one of those bands that everyone's like, you know, saying, I'll oh, play this song and you go, oh, I fucking hate that song. Like if you hate what you do or if you don't like it or you don't enjoy it, it's not going to be enjoyable on a long-term basis. So I think that it's always going to fit somewhere, you know, even like Solaris, like 
that was probably a song that was probably not as immediate in terms of I'm listening to a track is it immediate as some of the other stuff on that record but the music video really appealed to a lot of people um, and a certain kind of person as well and that you know that had its own place as well so I think that you've just got to see what you get mm. um, a few years ago we supported Lady Tron yeah and they were like how old were they at the time 30 mm. I think they were all around like 30 or early 30s at the yep. time and they've been around I think they started in like 1999 so they've been around for more than 10 years at the time mm-hmm. and um uh yeah roughly yeah 10 yeah years. and they like they were talking about the kinds of people that come to their shows i think one of them said like oh we mostly just get like librarians and stuff at their shows they had like a really mixed group of people who had listened to them when they were in their 20s and maybe were like in their late 20s now or early 30s and had like moved on with their lives but still come and see them whenever they're in town because you know they're like lifelong fans you know because that music really appealed to them and they put a lot of effort into thinking about servicing that market you know that market that sticks with them to um to keep it all going like mm. music is a music is a career like it's a creative career but if you if there are, is a certain type of person out there and they're you know they're not necessarily the cool kids they're not necessarily the music critics and like you might not be like you might you might you know everyone wants to be like a super like cool hipster band that everybody loves like everyone mm. loves that attention and you know having nice things written about them in vice and stuff but yeah. if you've got like a group of people that just love you then you have to work for them and they'll and they're the ones who are going to keep paying your bills yeah yeah like they're, well they're the fans yeah of the band yeah. if you mm. if you if you start dropping re- if you keep dropping records and the critics hate it mm-hmm. but those people are still right like buying them then you're just that's when you're doing your job yeah because mm. i can think of like some albums that have been very very well received by critics and have not sold many units yeah in which case who like who are you who are you making the music for like if people aren't going to buy your records or go to your shows but the critics think you're amazing yeah what good, if good what luck have you to got, you, mate yeah exactly like what have you got to show for it in terms of people power like who yeah. is who is out mm. there buying who's paying money to see your shows you know who's talking about you and it's mm. usually more often than not has nothing to do with critics so mm. it's funny like the people that um are really genuine music lovers and supporters are often not like you know in the the mega mega cool scene mm. they do keep a low profile to some extent you know and they just days. yeah yeah they, they they just kind of cruise around and um you know they're sort of a bit like nerdy or um you know interesting in their own way which is how i feel everyone in the in the bands is as well like everyone's kind of probably not the most crazy outgoing person or you know we're all kind of nerdy in our own little way we've Mm. all got our interests and i sort of feel like the 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 people that you kind of might assume would go to music and support it probably only get to a gig every couple of months they're probably in a line to get in afterwards or you know yeah or outside like talking or whatever while a gig is on but it's I, I really think that it's um, the more kind of quiet types or interesting or unusual mm. that I, your genuine people that come to every show really believe that parting with $15 is like really not much at all for the value that you yeah. get you know like yeah because there is like a circle of you know gig goers that get very jaded um, about the industry and the scene. They're always around, but they're not necessarily fans of any bands. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and the, you know, the like you said, you, you were describing before, the actual average person, you know, that might be a bit quiet about who they listen to, or to them the gig is a special event. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I think that's lost in a lot of the, the Perth circle because everyone kind of knows each other and that that spark is kind of gone for, like, really going to a good gig and letting yeah. loose and having a few drinks and yeah you feel like a few years ago it was it was quite cool to go to gigs um I definitely when i left yeah. high school yeah. when i left high school i i really remember i would go to at least a gig a week mm. and like sure i was like 17 or 18 so i wasn't like necessarily one of the, I, de- I definitely wasn't one of the cool kids but i do know that all the cool kids were there mm. and i know that like there would be gigs at like the rosemount and the heidi and amplifier it was like being like going to see bands was like a genuinely cool thing and mm. the Perth bands at the time like looking back on them some of them weren't that great no 
but no. they were including worse. us at that time probably you know <laughs> no we were even before that. that oh this is, yeah, this yeah. is way before like yeah this is way before 2003 2004 yeah around then yeah and um, it was so cool. Everyone had their little list of their favorite bands. Yeah. But everyone was kind of... Everyone you know, who in was in, like, a shitty Ash rip-off band hmm. was worshipped like a god. Like, yeah. they were so... Like, people in bands back then were so... And this was a big pro- reason why I wanted to be in a band. And, <laughs> you know, like, this is the mistake I made a long time ago that I've been seeing through, is that those guys were so cool and so worshipped and they genuinely did get all the girls and they genuinely did get like talked about when they weren't there like Mm. people talk about them all the time like people would gossip about them like wondering like oh you know like about what they'd been up like instead of talking about what you've been up to on the weekend you'd be talking about one of what one of those guys have been up to on the weekend yeah they all revolved around the band scene and i i don't feel like they're Mm. there anymore i don't feel like the equivalent like the 21 year old equivalent now yeah is in the band scene or going to all those gigs and getting yeah, you know, I wonder is, is what that is. That. If that if that's just a local thing or a ge- generational thing or just an industry thing. Now that music's way more accessible, yeah. Um, but no, I do mm, They just look at live clips on YouTube, and <laughs> that's enough for them. Yeah, or I mean, it could be a perception thing as well. Like oh, you, you, you know, yeah. you kind of. If you were a seventeen-year-old looking up to say maybe a twenty-two-year-old, you'd think like, oh, they they're being worshipped, and you know, you'd think it looks amazing. But by the time that you get to twenty-two, and you maybe are like one of those sort of people, seventeen-year-olds are still going, you know, a certain group of them are going, wow, that's really cool. But you're like, yeah. oh, I've done this before. This is like, you know, oh, you know, you. It's just it's getting jaded in a tiny little yeah. way you yeah. know but it yeah. is a perception thing of being young and looking at everything through rose-colored glasses and going this is the coolest thing in the world mm. that's true but i do know that back in those days gigs sold out yeah a lot easier. oh yeah like yeah. i remember back when i don't know if we'd existed quite yet or it might it was almost exactly around the time when we we started like writing songs together um when amplifier and capital did their new year's eve things and they would have like three monkey bar. three rooms. <laughs> yeah, monkey bar, but also just past monkey bar. Yeah. Like when I remember one New Year's Eve um, and it was like Sugar Army and The Fault and like that kind of period, which I guess was like 2005, yeah. 2004, 2005. And um, there was like an acoustic thing in the beer garden, the main amplifier room and then capital room. So there was like, a, like an absolute shitload of bands were playing. And it was so packed out, and like it packed out instantly as well. Like it sold out mm. really, really quickly. And all the all of those like heaps of like bands used to sell out the Rosemount all the time. Mm. Like these days, for a band to sell out a venue, it pretty much has to be their launch, mm. and so they're all their friends and family are there, and they haven't played a gig in like three months. Like, yeah. or they're a band that has like suddenly exploded and been like you know like signed to a major label. I think it's just one of the, like, this kind of feeds into that massive discussion about what's happening to music in Australia and, you know, the the hottest hundred, how that's changing and the kinds of people that are voting for music. Are they gig girls? No way. Yeah. You know, and their exposure to music is really kind of different. It's not really influenced by live music culture at all. It's completely influenced by radio and, you know, or digital, you know, like... That's a really good point, what you just made about how... Like um, whether or not they're gig goers these days, when a venue does sell out, I would say in almost all cases, unless it's like a tiny venue like the Bird, it's sold out with people who don't normally go to gigs. Mm. It's the people who don't go to gigs who sell out gigs. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it is. Mm. And or I mean, sometimes it's a big pull if it's you know friends and that kind of thing that haven't seen you in a while. If it's something special like a launch, that can kind of add to the numbers. But yeah, it probably is people that that don't usually go but also i think i mean the festival thing has has killed the image of live music for people that were around before that i think you know the idea like every every year you go to a music festival it gets a little bit worse each time and you could not pay me to go to one as 
as one as punt like as a punter now because mm. it's just you know you can't move people are obnoxious like up on each other's shoulders and mm. just going crazy it seems and that people are there more for the branding of the festival than it is. the actual music it is and mm. and you can see that in the way that you know a lot of clo- clothing shops market a festival pack it's about the preparation of like what are you going to drink beforehand and with who and yeah. what are you going to wear and what how cool are you going to look in all of the photos from the festival what bands did you see i yeah. don't know maybe one or two that's probably about it but you know those massive mainstream clothing chains put together packs that have like a little whistle on a chain and zinc and you know a, a cap and like fluoro shit and beads and i don't know all kinds of crap yeah. that no one needs but if if it's enough for a massive chain like that to be able to market a package of products to a wide audience like that, I mean, there has to be research that goes into that to be able to yield something from that product. Yeah, I think yeah. live, it proves, live you know? and JJ's, those sorts Exactly, of yeah, cotton on, mm. all that sort they're, of thing. They're feeding almost a stereotyped festival culture into yeah. people. Like, yeah. this is what you wear, this is how you act. Yeah. And people are going there, like I said, just for the brand of... The festival, it's like their yearly pilgrimage to, to go crazy. Yeah. And it's nothing to do with the music, which is really sad. Yeah, Interesting yeah. point about how, like, specifically clothing chains do that. Yeah. Like, I noticed that a lot with General Pants. Mm. The way they they really, really kind of, um, like, they've got a record label as well called, mm. um, I think it might have been called Record Label, you know? Mm. And they, they record, I think they put out mixes and stuff and no offense to General Pants, mm. but, like... What they what they what they kind of create and what they sell is like the most anod well okay offense to them because it's the shittest product. <laughs> it's the most anodyne kind of unthinking. It's like it's it's not curated. It's it's created to fit in with a pre existing understanding of the culture. Mm. It's like it's and it's marketed to a mass group. And the way you do that is by constructing something that says. You're on the outside looking in at something that you need. You, you're on the outside, as in you're not cool. Mm. You're looking at something that is cool, and that, as we all know, is what you have to be. And this is how you can do it. Yep. And it's selling it to them on various levels. So it's not just looking cool. It's listening to the right kind of thing, going to the right kinds of places, you know? Mm. And it's the same reason that like clothing stores partner often with... Yeah promoters as well when acts are brought over mm. and you know when special nights are on remember in the old days when um shape was like where everyone went mm. and they used to partner all the time with lots of like non-music affiliated kind mm. of people. alcohol like um you know jim beam or jack daniels or, or alcohol whatever. brands yeah. like most like because there's only a few like companies that actually own all the brands and and make them all they will have like a certain product they'll launch a certain product and say it could be the same people that make like Jim Beam, something that's really associated with a certain demographic of people. Yeah. And then they'll go, okay, we're going to launch a rum that appeals to this demographic of people. Mm. So we're going to get the right kind of people to drink it. We're going to ask um, bands to drink it that you know in the hottest one hundred. Mm. Um, we're going to make sure that it, certain types of nights. I mean, Sailor Jerry Rum is um, owned by one of those massive. I don't know if it's actually like Lion Nathan or one of those big ones, but it, it is one of them. Mm. And um, and that's marketed as like a kind of hipster rum. It's spiced rum. It's got, you know, that whole kind of Sailor Jerry kind of yeah. vintage thing. I, I, I did a night once when Sailor Jerry gave us some rum just to give out, hand out for free, just so that it's even things like in the photographs of the night when there's going to be a wild night and a certain promoter is putting on a certain kind of night and you know that the kinds of people who go to it are going to be in the photos the next week from that night. And it's the photographs that sell so much about that night. The cool kids who are dressed in a certain way and if they're like, if it looks like it's a mad party and they're just swilling rum and it's your brand of rum on that, your brand, it's worth more than than so many ads in so many newspapers or on so many bus stops or anything like that. Mm. It's it's that kind of experiential marketing. Yeah, it's selling a culture basically. Exactly, yeah. it's putting a it's putting a price tag on the culture, and it's mm. putting a um by by affiliating a product which outside of the label on the bottle has no connection whatsoever with that culture. It is right. no no more a, a better product or a more delicious drink or a, a mm. you know a better pair of jeans. But by affiliating it with 
people who are priceless in that the cool kids are just cool because they're cool. You know, some people have those kind of magnetic early adopter personalities that people want to follow. Mm. By putting that in their hands, you're creating, you know, you're, you're, you're oh, making yeah. them your yeah, brand. Yeah, it's like a photographic brand. recommendation that they don't even know that they've made. Yeah, I mean... To so, a mass audience. Tegan and I have both worked in marketing and yeah. there's no greater place to put your money if you're if you're marketing a product than um recommendations from peers peer recommendation is the best thing you can you can have so if all your friends are doing it then that's worth more than a million dollars of television ads mm. or if you see somebody that you know is telling you i really genuinely liked this you trust it so much more than a bikini clad model on a beach that, right, because it's, it's it. direct influence from your circle of friends who you trust. Yeah, and yeah. even though you know, we are all pretty savvy and we know how we're being sold something, mm. instinctively we just trust it. And it works so, so well with, you know, certain types of brands where you, you know, you just can't help, you just can't help wanting it. Mm. I think that, like, where all this comes from now is that the, the audience for music has become so mainstream that it, it's worth all these brands pouring money into these kind of campaigns that are extremely clever and cost a lot of money mm. to, to do. But the the market for it has become that way. And I think it's taking away the people originally that would have gone to gigs for their own pleasure, mm. you know. And I honestly don't think that there are that many people in the world that actually just love going to gigs, you know, that there, there are not many out of the, oh, not many out there, you know, and mm. they're absolute gems because they get people into music. They love it. They live it and breathe it and they don't care who's there. Mm. They don't care if they have to go alone to a gig and they don't care who sees them there or who doesn't. They are actually just really enjoying it. And those kind of people I would assume nowadays might be, might think twice about going to a gig even people that i know in terms of we just we've got this gig coming up at mojo's and we've just had one at amps mm-hmm. and the amount of people that go oh yeah i saw that one at, at amps but to be honest i can't bring myself to go to the, go there it's just a shit fight because of the other people that will go yeah and make the night not as enjoyable they're more happy to go to mojo's because it's like a really casual kind of vibe mm. um and Mojo's is excellent one of my favorite venues yeah it is and yeah, i mean it's it's, it's of course like any place it's got its circle of people who probably you know just go for the sake of going but i think it is a, a place that's more inviting and the the sad thing is that a lot of venues now are becoming the kinds of places that maybe those those dime a dozen kind of people wait dime a dozen is that no, that's the opposite. That's the opposite. That means common. Those uncommon people <laughs> yeah. that love that, mm. they don't want to. They don't want to participate in the way that they did once upon a time. And you know, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I feel like I was on the tail end of that time. I don't think I experienced it because, from even when I started playing gigs and when I started going to them, I feel like it was this way. And I had only heard of this golden age before, in the you know decade before mm. I was around, where everyone went to amps and it was really quiet and everyone just sat around quietly smoking in the beer garden and going in and out from the bands and you could move freely you yeah, know you didn't really have to even ask your friend if they'd be there it's almost like you just people made, just made up yeah. yeah yeah but you it was all the people just go to a gig uh, and i remember there was a your whole crew would just be there when like, i was all like the time. around 17 yeah and 18 i used to go to amps by myself hmm. and i knew that people would be there people would be there like yeah. i'd walk in and I wouldn't be hanging out by myself. Mm. Yeah. I think that, you know, I'll be honest as well, in terms of going to gigs, I will only go to a gig if it's if it's a friend mm-hmm. playing in a band. And, I mean, I've got a lot of friends in bands because that's what I've been doing. So, you know, I've kind of not had enough time for my, my friends of the past because I've always been doing music things and that kind of just plants you in that situation where you kind of look around you and go, wow, everyone I know has got something to do with music. And you go to their shows to support them and because you know their music and you want to see how it's involved and you have that curiosity and stuff like that. But I'm not somebody that would go, oh, there's a whole bunch of new bands. I'll have to go and check that all out because the time is so limited now. Like, you know, basically what I'm saying is I don't think that I'm one of those like magic people that everyone should, you know, be more like. I'm definitely in the in the mid ground of someone that should 
go to more stuff that you don't necessarily already know about mm. or something like that but I mean I would always go where I can to to go and check out friends bands but you know I just think that those people that that just enjoy it and and are always there I just think they're amazing like that there's not many of them but they are so special and they're so important for music they are yeah I wish I did that I know, I like want to be one of those people. It, there's actually quite a few bands in Perth that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. I was at a friend's thing about a month ago and I saw a band that I'd never heard of before and I'd never seen before. And they were so good. They were like so unbelievably good that I like I just couldn't look away and I couldn't believe. And each song had something else that really blew me away. And I was like, this band is so amazing. Mm. And I have not been to see them again. And I probably won't, you know, unless... Not before we leave. I can't yeah. imagine I would. And there's a lot of bands in Perth that I feel that way about that I really, really like. Mm. But I just don't go to... I don't go to the... I mean, like, maybe we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much because it's like we do get enough of... It's a bit of a busman's holiday. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> is it, well, I mean, is that bad? No, that's stupid. Like, we should... Well, we do. We we see a lot of bands because we play with them, you know, and and we go and see our friends' bands and... We don't pay to see bands, though. I do. When have you paid to see a band? Bird. When? Not long ago. I would... Was I, I there? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because I, well, I used to work down the road, so I would often just pop in. And that's the other shitty thing, is that I would probably pop in to see my friend's set. Maybe the band not after them, but maybe not until the very end band. If it was a work night, I might just... I mean, who cares? I would have gone to bed an hour or two later. Mm. I should have just stayed, but, you know... That's one of those things where you, when you're in those situations, you just have to say like, you, you know, you can sleep when you're dead. Just watch this freaking band. And it's harder as you get older, though, doesn't it? It does. Mm. Like I used to, stamina runs out when you. I used yeah. to watch every second of every band at amps every week, mm. and then be out till four. These days, I can't even stand up for that long. Yeah, I can't stand up. I'm 26 now. I, I usually can't give- stand up for like a whole night's worth of music yeah just get so fidgety i give most bands about three songs yeah i just i just i'm I'm trying to save my ears basically because i'm probably going deaf do you wear um plugs um sometimes but nowhere near as often as i should you totally should i have got um hearing loss and tinnitus in my right ear i it's really funny you bring that up because the last podcast about a year ago i asked you about hearing problems and you said you were pretty good yeah. in terms of hearing problems so just well, in that last year yeah, yeah. Uh, it was november last year mm. so probably that probably would have been a few months afterwards november last year i just got this little ringing in my right ear and i thought oh it'll probably go away it's probably just from something it wasn't i don't think it was after a rehearsal or anything like that but i thought oh it, this will just leave and it just got slightly more present and wouldn't go away for days and then weeks and then so um i went to like an ear nose and throat specialist and they gave me an mri and also sent me into an audiologist and the audiologist said um that yeah this ear has hearing loss both ears have hearing loss but one of them is worse than the other one and that's the one that has tinnitus but i wouldn't have even known about that hearing loss because i don't notice it i just to me it seems normal yeah what i can hear and i don't i you know i don't feel like i'm hard of hearing or anything like that mm. but it's there and the tinnitus is the what frequencies like you, you lose certain frequencies lose it is yeah it is yeah um have you done that hearing test on youtube uh where they play a frequency and yeah, you yeah, see yeah, if you can hear it, it. it tells you how, like what your hearing age is because mm. like it, as you get older you lose certain frequencies and, and Gio mm. who up until next weekend will have been our drummer for like three years or so and he's produced a lot of our records and I always used to like I've always found that he mixes very very bright mm-hmm. and it's because he's got hearing loss as well so mm. especially in his upper frequencies people yeah. who have that kind of hearing loss will mix bright because they can't hear those because they can't hear it yeah and, but, and, then the, and the point to that is that he's, he's a few years older than us mm. so like to someone who's younger, his mixes sound really bright. But yeah. to someone who's older, it his mixes okay. probably sound That's bizarre. really yeah. normal. Dull. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think that you're hearing loss in your right ears because you're on the left-hand side of the stage? And that's the ear that Gets faces the drums. the drums, definitely, yeah. yeah. It's, you've got cymbal ear. Yeah. Like, basically, the, the whole upper frequency is lost from crash, yeah. crash and hi-hat. Yeah. 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 yeah, you're on the hi-hat side as well. Mm. Not that, that would that definitely would be, be what it is. Yeah. But, I mean, the weird thing about, like, the pattern of hearing loss, though, this is what the audiologist said, was that what she could see is that 
usually if it's to do with music over a really short period of time it looks one it looks like one way and basically it doesn't have this little flick up at the end in the very 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 high frequencies and that's what it should look like if it's to do with music the other thing if you have a really extended exposure like eight hours a day for 10 years of really noisy you know if you're working on a building site and not using headphones or something like that that is the kind of thing that has this little flick up on the end and that kind of hearing loss and she said that that's what I have but I haven't been working on a building site for 10 years for eight hours a day so that's the kind of weird thing about it mm-hmm. um is that she she thought that that was like a little bit unusual but i mean yeah that's scary it's we, we are getting to that age where things start breaking down slowly yeah, very, slowly. <laughs> very slowly very yeah. slowly but. but the thing is like to and to ourselves or to younger people we, we probably feel like we're really old, but my mom, if she could hear this conversation, would be like, you fucking kids yeah, complaining, you, remember, like, you know? like a few years ago when I started, like, I, in my early 20s, like, you, in your early 20s in Australia, definitely not in other places, like, my family is all from the UK, and they all look like they've just been, like, just popped out of the womb. Like, in Australia, because the sun is what, what makes you age. There was a study recently where people had to wear sun cream every day, and another group didn't. And five years later, or something like that, there were no, like, absolutely no visible signs of aging on the people that always mm. wore sun cream. Wow. It's all about the sun. But, um, what the hell am I talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Aging. Aging. Yeah. Um, like, when I first, like, discovered, like, a wrinkle, which you do in your early 20s in Australia, I was like, fuck it, I'm so old. I can't believe it. And I'd be like looking at my brother who's like three years younger than me and going like god he looks so young because my brother looks a lot like me as well he's like that's what I could be right now if I wasn't so fucking old <laughs> and now when I hear people in their early 20s like going like oh I'm getting old now I'm like you fucking stupid like, yeah you're so young like like even someone who's a year younger than you, than you and they're like oh I'm old like my friend Jack is a year younger than me and he's like oh I'm getting old now and I'm like shut up Jack you don't know what old is like yeah yeah, older people always think young people are shouldn't complain. I uh, I asked my well, I got a wrinkle, a little wrinkle in my eye a few years ago, and I said to my dermatologist, "Oh, like what can you do? What creams actually help? What what works? You know, what on the market?" And he said, "There is not a single product on the market that is not the biggest load of dog shit, right. and that that actually works." He says it's amazing, like it's one of those industries that is really except ironically enough, dog shit. <laughs> it um is he said that there's like one there's one thing um that you can put on your face it's a it's a you can't just get it in any old product and he said it thins your skin so badly that you can't go in the sun and it, it is proven to work on wrinkles but i mean you have to be like into some hardcore like peeling your own skin off to make any difference otherwise any kind of like night cream or whatever that's marketed to like reduce the signs of aging is complete bullshit he just said the best thing you can do for your skin and the only thing that works is wearing sunscreen every day and not smoking Mm. and he said that that's the only thing that you can do apparently alcohol as well kind of ages you a little bit i can imagine in in (laughs) well ages your soul well i can imagine though that that could probably be linked like if you are a heavy drinker there's also a chance that you might smoke when you drink as well and yeah you know you may not you may not take great care of yourself if you are a heavy drinker i can't imagine alcohol in um, small amounts would do it, but definitely Probably not. No, I think alcoholics age uh, really quick yeah. because of the damage to their liver yeah. and the fact that it's sapping all the moisture from your skin. Yeah, it? but again, yeah. is it not true that like a vast majority of alcoholics are smokers? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Could I don't know. This could be all very, um, <laughs> you know, uninformed. I yeah. think it's all very uninformed. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Japan about a month or two months ago, and everybody there looked so young. Mm. Like we would, we would, we met a lot of people in bars and stuff, and we'd like, um, you know, end up spending the night with them. I mean, like hanging out with them, not spending the night with them. And but I would have because they were very pretty. Um, <laughs> oh no! Hi all. But like we'd always be like when we asked them like how old are you. They were always like, oh, I'm like 45, 
He's mm. 46. And we're like, what the fuck? You look 18. That's yeah. the magic of the Asian genes, though. You yeah, just look young for your whole though. life until you're actually My probably old. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. but the thing is when you when you get to like one hundred like when you get to maybe eighty you look four hundred. Yeah. Like and it happens overnight. <laughs> you're twelve yeah. and then you're four hundred and there's that, nothing in I've between. I've seen that cartoon on, on um on the internet. Is there a cartoon? Yeah. Well not, not like a comic strip. It has like um an Asian lady when she's fifteen, twenty, twenty five, thirty, and it's all the same until about seventy and it's just bang and she's like hobbled over with curly hair Shriveled up, like <laughs> they so tiny. A, I think that, that must inform parts of the of their culture because they like work long they kind of like a lot of cultures like Italians are like that as well where they work long and hard and when they retire they really kind of unwind. Also they drink like motherfuckers in yeah. Japan. Like they are uh, having having been to having like lived most of my life in Australia and also spent a bit of time in the UK where they also drink like motherfuckers like we all seem so sober compared to the Japanese who are like amazing drinkers so they drink so much every day they get so much sun and they work work like so hard but I think that maybe like the part of that's kind of like with, with us it's like oh you know like tomorrow I'm going to look a day older yeah. but for them it's like I'll just work like a, I'll work really hard until I'm 60 and I'll still look 18 and then I'll be 18 then <laughs> like people people get really serious really young there yeah but like probably the people and they get like big jobs very young yeah and, and work so they start that kind of salaryman lifestyle yeah really, really young but the people that you would be meeting would probably be a select kind of slice of the pie of all the people yeah I mean I guess we were especially if you're hanging out in bars yeah we were probably gonna meet some bar flies (laughs) we were sitting in in the cities hanging out in bars where those people go and we met them so yeah that's that is skewed yeah could say the same for when it's exactly the same times James was in Japan Uh, I was in Iceland and everyone in town was drinking like crazy and they don't go out until really late but i'm sure everyone else off in their little cottages on hills are probably not slaying booze. it's like amsterdam is full of like sex workers and stoners yeah but the dutch are not like that they're pretty uptight generally. yeah yeah they're quite conservative i think yeah they're think. grumpy ah yes they're very grumpy <laughs> my well, best not, friend in high just... school's dad was dutch and still is and <laughs> He's a grumpy guy. He was the guy when we were at the airport the first time we went to America. Oh, that guy, yeah. John. Uh, he won't listen to this. John is this <laughs> Sorry, massive John. Dutch guy with a Hitler moustache. Yeah. And um, he was at mum's birthday as well. The guy with the... The tall guy with the Hitler moustache. Mm. And he's so grumpy. And even, like, nice things make him grumpy. And when he's happy, he's, like, grumpy happy. They don't have any need or want or desire to fill the space in conversations and they will just sit there in silence in the most awkward way <laughs> which I've always found hard I caught up with a uh, a friend when I was there and it was just like drawing blood from a stone and I, it was probably really normal for him to sit at the dinner table and just stare at each other <laughs> yeah. but for me I found that quite confronting and I was really just drawing at straws asking the most wrong? ridiculous <laughs> questions just to try and you must fill have thought the, you were so retarded mm. <laughs> like he was probably like, okay. Why does this girl not shut up? <laughs> this girl is uh, not very clever. Thanks for coming down. Oh, thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Um, James doesn't have a car, so he has to catch a train. That's right. Oh, <laughs> sorry. All right, mate. You're not home yet. <laughs> so, so um, did, did you guys want to plug the, the gig one more time? So it's the uh, 24th? It's the 24th of August yeah. 2013 at Mojo's. And uh, what day is that? Saturday? That's a Saturday night. And uh, who's who's playing with you? Uh, we've got uh, Jack Sterling playing solo, uh, doing his mountain pop ridiculousness, and uh, Leo, uh, lovely solo lady, mm. um, doing her... And seams. And seams, uh, which are our old buddies from... I don't know, I guess just playing playing around together mm-hmm. um, seems awesome. And Will uh, from Bastion's Happy Bastions. Flight is DJing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Do you know what he's going to be playing? Just Some funky, sick tunes. Solid, solid rich Sexual cuts tunes. of disco. Awesome. Now, if, if people want to keep updated with what you're doing, do you have a website? Or? Yeah, we have yeah. a website. You can follow us on Instagram. Well, if you ever put anything up, like buddy can. <laughs> All right, mate. Not here. There's a time <laughs> and place. Didn't that up from breakfast yesterday. I know. I've got a story to tell you why they couldn't do that. My phone's not working. Okay. Well, tell me in the car because it 
probably if it's an interesting story you won't want to put it on a podcast yeah it's not it's not making for a great podcast that story but um yeah you can follow us on instagram which is just voltaire twins uh you can follow us on facebook which is voltaire twins as well or we've got things up on our website we have twitter as well and a soundcloud I keep, put, I keep putting things on Twitter accidentally because I've got my own Twitter. And mm. it's synced to the Voltaire Twins account? Well, yeah, I use the app and um, you have to like switch accounts when you right. post. And I keep forgetting to switch accounts and then post things on the Voltaire Twins one when I'm drunk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like posting stuff at my mum's 60th birthday about my parents and right. stuff on the Voltaire Twins one. It would have made no sense. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, yeah, keep in touch. Don't. Don't uh, disappear like so many bands do in Melbourne. No, we'll okay. be back, mate. Our parents are here and we'll, we'll run out of money at some point. Awesome. Yeah, we'll hit you up for some cash. And uh, dim sum. Oh, we can. We're going to find a new dim sum in Melbourne. Looking forward to like going through and cool. trying all the places and finding... <laughs> we should catch up. I'll, I'll be in Melbourne from the 2nd of September. Till uh, we won't be there yet. Not what yet? are you going to be there for? Um, about a week. So We'll catch you. We'll be there. We're going to be there on the eighth oh, and the ninth. We, we don't leave until the tenth, though. Okay. Right. Okay. So if you're going to be there well, on the eighth and the ninth. That might work. We'll see. We can meet up and get some duck. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for coming. Um, all the best um, in Melbourne, and everyone go to the show um, at Mojo's on the twenty fourth. Yes, please. Bye. 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 Mission Control.